There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, everybody, we're live. It's a forever mighty post-game show just about, uh, what is that, seven, eight hours later after the game, Eddie? (laughs) It's a little uh, early, but... (laughs) (laughs) We're ready to go. We got a lot to talk about tonight with the Ducks punching their ticket to the playoffs with a 3-1 win over the Minnesota Wild. What a game last night for the Ducks, being able to hold tight in that first period and then come out basically in the second and third period and take over the game. The Ducks getting that much-needed two points. We don't know who we're, who we were playing yet, but the most important thing on the night is that the Blues lost, the Ducks won. That gets them into the playoffs. Thank you, Chicago. That's the uh, one time you'll hear me say that. Yeah. Um, they get the win against the Blues to push them out. What a game, man. That was just – it was great to be there. The crowd was crazy, uh, with the exception of the wooing. Uh, the game was great in the 3-1 <laughs> victory. Well, like it, I feel like it picked up, too, because they said on the broadcast right after uh, it, they got news that Chicago had won, there was a little bit of a cheer in the crowd, and then I think things started picking up. The energy was a little bit higher, not just in the crowd, but on the ice, because I'm sure the players knew in the dressing room. I think it was at the end of the first period that they really found out that Chicago had won that game. So that upped the momentum right there. I mean, once you know that you can get in, they, they came out and they played a, a solid game, especially from the third period on. Uh, but it was another come-from-behind win. Uh, not as dramatic as the last two, but they were down one nothing, came from behind, and won it late. So it, it, it's some exciting hockey. No, man, it was great. The, the crowd really stayed into it. They got a standing ovation at the end of the game. Players come out to center ice, raise their sticks. This is the sixth straight season. The Ducks are going to the postseason. So just something we've been waiting for. I mean, to take it all the way to the end like this was pretty strange just because the Ducks had won the Pacific Division season after season after season, and then you come in tonight and you're like, I don't know, man, it's going to be pretty close. It's going to be pretty close. Uh, but to get them to pull that off was amazing. Yeah. Um, getting into the pregame, though, we have some interesting lineup changes because of the unfortunate injuries that happened last game. 
scratches tonight, Corbinian Holzer, and then uh, Eddie's Captain Canada, unfortunately, was not fast enough to skate <laughs> uh, last night. So uh, he was out. Antoine Vermette also out. Troy Terry is out. Andy Walensky is in. Ryan Miller is in. So those are your two subs in for Cam Fowler and John Gibson. Gibson still out with an upper body injury, which is a little concerning. Uh, did he go through concussion protocol that you know of? Was there a thing about him being injured, or was this just like a an incident? Have you read anything or seen anything? I haven't. I, like all I saw was uh, I think it was an update from Eric Stevens saying that he was like undergoing another round of testing. I think it was uh, yesterday he was doing that. They were going to evaluate him further. I think today. So hopefully we get some good news. Upper upper body injury, especially when you get hit in the head, it never it's never a good sign. I'm hoping it's not concussion because you know day to day can turn to week to week to month to month depending on on how serious it becomes. So uh, hopefully it's not a concussion, but it, it kind of seems like it's trending that way just based off what we saw from the footage and, and how they're kind of being a little bit cryptic with their updates. Yeah, it's weird. And then the day-to-day status, I mean, that's usually yeah. how concussions go unless they know they're going to shut them down, right? So yeah. hopefully that's not the case for John Gibson. It didn't look like something that would, I mean, obviously I know hits to head are, are the hits to the head. And, you know, the little ones here and there add up over time and then you get hit again and it happens. But it didn't look like anything drastic. He did get run over by a big dude. But I just felt like the head contact, I don't know. Hopefully it's not what, what everyone thinks it is because that's what's floating around is that everyone thinks it's concussion. Yeah, uh, that would be the worst because, you know, you never know how long, like I said, that's the thing. The, the, the day-to-day tag with a concussion is usually what you see at the beginning, and then at times it can become worse depending on how he progresses. He could be back right away. You know, he could be back further down the road. It, it, it might not even be the head. I mean, we're just speculating it could be something simple. Uh, it could be a shoulder injury, whatever. It, it might be something that's not that bad, and he's actually day-to-day. But I, I really hope we get some kind of update today because we already know how long Fowler's out. I mean, it, it sucks, it hurts, but at least we know when he's going to be projected to come back. With John Gibson right now, we'd assume he's probably going to be shut down for the rest of the season, and, and I hope we at least hear an update before the before the season's out on Sunday. You know, he deserves the break. I have yeah. no problem with them sitting him if this is a, especially a concussion. Like, don't rush this guy back. I mean, playoffs are nasty, and you know guys are going to be around that crease. It's no secret that John Gibson's been injured across across the board this season. So teams have no problem being in his in his crease at all. So yeah. you just you know that's going to be in other teams' minds. Cam Fowler out, a separated shoulder. They won't tell you that, but that's I mean, come on, that's exactly what it is with the way his shoulder went into the boards. Yeah, hopefully it's only a two week thing and it heals pretty quick. He's been able to bounce back as he did last season, too, with the knee injury. So Fowler out. Ducks are going to have to take this one in the first period here. We'll get to in a second. Um, Just one more question for you. And I know it's tough for you to to swallow this, but do you think (laughs) RC made the right call with Walensky and Pedersen? Just your pregame thoughts. I know you know how the game works. Pregame. How do you feel about that? Um, you know, uh, I, before this, I had mentioned on Twitter, and I, I saw a couple of people say they would have liked to see just a complete changeup. Uh, I think it was Lindholm, Montour, Patterson, Manson, and Boschman and Walensky. I personally would have liked to see that, and we'll get into it more after the game or after we recap the game here. But I, I think I would have liked to see that. But if you had to pick a second best option, I guess that would be it, just because of the familiarity as bad as it's been with Boschman and Montour. 
Uh, I think that's a little bit better, but uh, it, it was tough. It's tough to throw two kids in there in, in a game that, you know, it doesn't mean as much as the last two, but it's still an important game because obviously the Ducks could have clinched in this game, and they did. But throwing those two kids together in that bottom pairing uh, is kind of throwing them into the fire. All right, man, let's hit the intro and get the game started. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner, gets up center. Perry scoops. Corey Perry. Lilia able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. Around in front. Score! Tamu Solani with the steal. Three in the face, one left. I know it's early, but that that intro always gets me hyped up and ready to go for for the uh, for the recap. It's the, it's the Paul Korea. Yeah, that's what you've been just waiting to relive yeah, over exactly. and over and over again. I mean, <laughs> I know hearing... you were like you were like five years old, but I'm sure you remember it. <laughs> always hearing off the floor on the board just gets me ready to go. <laughs> so yeah, man, going into the first period, this was kind of a back and forth affair for the Ducks in the beginning, but uh, the Wild, I felt like I had the better of it. It just felt like they were just feeling each other out for the most part there were some chances but nothing that i really noticed in like grade a scoring chances i mean you even put in the notes here what is going on in this period essentially right i mean because it just felt like there was a bit of back and forth but both teams were a little bit you know like uh just a little apprehensive as to you know take chances against each other for some reason in the first period yeah there wasn't a lot really going on it it was kind of a boring game there was some decent chances but nothing where you'd say okay well you know that was a a quality you know high danger chance in the first period and you know there was at one point where there were 16 combined shots between the two teams and there really wasn't a chance where you thought oh that you know that could have been a goal I think maybe the closest one was Manson turned the puck over in his own zone Corvu had sort of a half break and he waited too long to shoot, and, and Miller just kind of awaited him, and, and it was a pretty easy save. But but that was it. I mean, up until that point, there really wasn't much going on. No, that, that first period was pretty slow. I mean, you got our first look there of Andy Walensky on the power play. It is kind of where he he belongs. Um, Hampus Lindholm kind of looked out of place on that power play. Did you notice that, yeah. too? I, just, I felt like he wasn't ready to step in and take over Cam Fowler's role. That was one of the... The first things I noticed on the power play is like, oh, man, that's a, that's a really different look. Oh, yeah, because that's Hampus Lindholm on the power play, not Gim Fowler. Yeah, I, I think he should have been on the second pairing. He got thrown right onto the first pairing. I think uh, it was Getzlaff who was on the point with him, I think, and Montour was kind of playing off the half wall on the left side. So uh, difficult to throw him right in there when he hasn't done that all season. But uh, I would have liked to see maybe Getzlaff and Montour on the point. Uh, for the first unit, and then having Getzlaff, or sorry, Raquel, Perry, Enra, and Henrique for the rounding out that first unit, and then having Montour, or sorry, having Lindholm on that second pairing. I, th- I think that would have been a little bit better for them, taking a lot of responsibility off him, because, yeah, he just kind of looked a bit out of place, but you, you can't fault him for that. He hasn't spent a lot of time on that first unit. No, and it's kind of like when you're when you're taking two of your best players out of the lineup. I mean, especially a, a mobile defenseman like Cam Fowler, you kind of just have to see what you're going to get in yeah. a game time situation. In the Wild, they haven't been the most dominant team in the NHL, but they're still a good team. So it was an interesting test for the Ducks. But we get out of the first period. Just was it uh, thirteen to eleven in shots? Wild carry the lead over the shot count, but it wasn't drastic. It wasn't like they were they were flying around and, and uh, having Miller make grade A chances. Uh, you know play after play after play 
Yeah. Uh, the big notable thing there is the Ducks had six turnovers in the first period, and five of them were from defensemen. A little concerning going forward. Um, that Pedersen and Walensky pairing did not look great. I felt like they were very noticeable. They got hemmed in their zone quite a little bit here. But it's to be expected. These are two young guys that are called up and having to play um, you know, minutes that they at the NHL level where they haven't played together. So it was almost kind of like what you expected, you know, a shaky defensive core without Cam Fowler. Yeah, and the Wilds were kind of experiencing that a bit too. I know they had Suter and Spurgeon out of their lineup, so they had two guys I actually hadn't heard of before in Sealer and Susie uh, playing some significant minutes on the bottom pairing for them. So the Ducks weren't the only team facing some adversity on the blue line. But, um, I mean, you, you kind of expect that. You knew... Going in, that Walensky and Pedersen wasn't gonna, you know, amaze you. They had the chance to look awful. I mean, the stats kind of back it up that they weren't that great. But I think when you you kind of look at the eye test, they weren't too bad. You know, they didn't make too many bad mistakes. They got hemmed in their zone a couple times, uh, and that attributed to the bad numbers. But other than that, I think they were okay. And the defense really picked it up after the first period because, like you said, the six turnovers, five from the blue line. You kind of noticed that it was a little bit of sloppy play, uh, and everything was kind of messed up in that first period. Getting on to the second period here, the Wild take a penalty. Ducks, you know, they, they the power play looked better. I felt like the power play looked a little better on the second time, but it ends up getting cut short because Kasha takes a tripping call. Um, just unfortunate there, but, I mean, it happens. And Kasha's been such an animal for the Ducks lately that you're like, all right, fine, whatever. <laughs> they took a tripping call. For, foreshadowing a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the guy's a beast. Um, it just... I don't know. The beginning of this first period, I kind of felt like we were going to see a different Ducks team, and I feel like we did. They tried to put the pressure on over against Minnesota, and they started making things happen there in the beginning. I mean, how did you feel like the power play progressed a little bit with the new look? Yeah, it, it, it looked a little bit better, but I mean, to be honest, all season it's kind of looked meh. Like, there's been times where they've looked great, and I think at home they've been a better team on the power play. I think the numbers back that up as well. They've been, I think, in the top half at home on the power play, just on the road is where it really struggles. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, this power play's been an enigma to me all season. I feel like it has the potential to be a very great power play. I just think the setup and the way they utilize some guys really limits their, their opportunities. So, uh, I'm not going to get too optimistic about it yet. I, I've, I've been at fault for that multiple times during the season where they've had a couple games of a, a good stretch there where they go like maybe five games in a row getting a good power play goal. And then all of a sudden they go on a streak where they, they don't see anything for a, a good period of time. At times, there was just so much passing. Like, yeah. so much passing. I mean, not even just on the power play, but just the second period in general with chances. There was just pass after pass, like perimeter passes. And then they would try to go and make a play to get into the interior of the of the wild defense. And then the guy going into the middle would pass it back to the point or pass it back to the half wall. And I was like, oh, my God. You guys need to put the puck on net. Let's do something here. Everybody's <laughs> so – everyone's so selfless on this team. Um, but it, it just ended up not working out for the Ducks at the beginning of the second period. Miller had to make a key save and close, but then the Wild would get a power play because Getzloff would take a tripping penalty, and then Matt Dumba rips one right by um, Ryan Miller. He had really no chance. That was like, as you put in here, Ovechkin's office. I mean, that's no joke. I mean, it, that was a great shot. It just yeah. you, nothing you could do for Ryan Miller. It's just going to, you know, on the power play, that you get a guy in that spot down low who could shoot the pockets over. Yeah, and he picked like a top, top corner. There was really no chance for Miller. I think it went right over his glove into the top corner. 
Uh, he did a pretty good job getting over there, but it was just a perfect shot. I mean, there's not much you can do on there. Udamba did a great job of getting that off quickly and just picked the corner. Um, so it, it's tough. You know, it sucks being on the power play because the, the Ducks penalty kill has been so good as of late. But it was just a good setup. It was a good uh, pass over to Dumba. He's not necessarily wide open, but he has a, a pretty good shot. And I think it's Manson who ends up trying to get a block on it. Maybe screens Miller a bit, but it, you can't really fault anybody on that goal. It's just a great shot. And, and you know, unfortunately, the Wild Web won nothing. But the Ducks, it wouldn't take too long for them to come back in this game in the second period. They would get this odd chance. I mean, I didn't think that it was Nick Ritchie that scored this goal. I was very, yeah. I was surprised because he's the one. There's a crazy scramble in front of the net. Puck comes just somehow into the crease from Nick Ritchie, throws it to the front, a scramble in front, and it squeaks through Dubnik's legs. First reaction there is they weren't going to call this a goal. I really felt like they were going to call goalie interference just because of what we've seen across the board all over the NHL, and especially last, uh, not last night now, but the night before, between the Predators and the Florida Panthers, where they deemed that was no goal, which is actually the call I thought, you know, the NHL finally got it right. Apparently not. There were so many people over Twitter that were flipping out about that <laughs> one. So this one, and Boudreaux calls the challenge, it goes, I didn't even stand up when they scored without the game. People were standing up, I was like, that's not going to count. There's no way that's going to count. Yeah, but I guess there was no contact or not enough to cause an issue in front of the net. Um, you you were at home watching the broadcast. How did it look from there? Were you getting the same looks? I mean, did that look like that puck was going to go in? I mean, did the Ducks? You feel like at the fair, get the fair chance there and make it one one? Yeah, it, it was a weird one because, like you said, it gets thrown from behind the net and then it bounces off a couple people and, and Dubnik kind of swats at it with his glove and bats it in. I think it goes in off Nate Prosser and just squeaks through his legs. I'm not sure if Henrik ever gets a touch at it. He's in the blue paint, so that's why I was a little bit surprised, too. He gives uh, gives Dubnik a bit of a cross-check. It's not, not, not like a violent cross-check, but he, he puts a stick on him. So I thought, you know, in this day and age, with how we have no idea what goalie interference is, that's something they could easily call and say he impeded his ability to make the save. But I, I think with the fact that the what the refs were looking at is, you know, Henry doesn't do anything to stop Dubnik from making the save, and it's it's Dubnik really in the end who puts it in his own net by knocking it in off Prosser. So it's a greasy one. I mean, we'll take it. It, it, it tied the game up, but it, it's one of those goals that you don't expect, uh, that you're not surprised that Nick Ritchie uh, is the one who got it because he always gets the greasy one somehow. I, I mean, he, he uh, was able to squeak one through Hellebuck in that game against Winnipeg where it barely crossed the line. Here, he doesn't even really have to touch the puck to throw it into the net. He's just sitting there collecting as many points as he possibly can at the weirdest times, too. Like, yeah. Nick Ritchie's not really had the cleanest of goals of late. <laughs> and I really thought that went off of Adam Henrique just from yeah. my, you know, my vision for, at the game. I just felt like because he was jamming at the puck, and, he, and that's where I was concerned about it, that Henrique actually got a stick in on Dubnik. And I think he did, but it didn't really change the way the play was, I guess. So they would have called yeah. it no goal, obviously. But a weird one for Nick Ritchie. It's tied 1-1. The Ducks have really started to take over at this point with chances in the second period. Montour would get another chance, but Dubnik makes a hell of a glove save. I remember watching that, too. I was like, oh, smokes, dude, that guy. And he was seeing pucks really well tonight. Dubnik made a lot of really key saves for the Wild. So keeping the Wild in it at this point, which is great to say if you're a Ducks fan, it's 1-1 at the end of the second period. 10-8, the Wild have the shot advantage. 23-19 at the end of that 
but don't let that fool you. The Ducks' chances were much better in the second period. You could really tell, as you said at the beginning of it, that they know that a win here would put them into the playoffs. So you could feel the tide turning, Eddie. It felt like that in the second period, too. The building started to get crazy. That was the one time that you heard anybody cheer for the Blackhawks in Anaheim. Yeah, I mean, ever since the wild goal, they just really turned it on and they took control of this game. And, you know, that would end up continuing into the third. But it's just a strong effort. And it's great to see this team. Obviously, they knew that a win would get them in. And they really just kicked it to another gear. You'd like to see them do that no matter what. But I think knowing that a win, especially in this game, would get you into the playoffs, that was a huge momentum boost for this team. And they really picked things up because it's hard to go into this game and have a lot of motivation when your number one goaltender is out and you don't know for how long and one of your best defensemen is going to be out for the foreseeable future. It's a tough game to get uh, get out of bed for and, and get motivation, but they, they're able to pull it on and, and turn on the Jets for the third period. Well, hey, just to get this third period off, off, the, off the ground here, the Ducks just come flying out. I felt like this was one of the most motivated teams that we've seen in a while for the Ducks. They get a strong period going. Lots of pressure in this. There was at a point in the beginning of this period uh, where the Ducks held for almost about a minute and 30 seconds. Getzloff controlling the play. But this was one of those plays, too. They were making so many passes and holding pressure that they just – I get, I think they could get a clean look. There was it just people in their seats around me were like, come on, come on, come on. They're like freaking out <laughs> about it. But it's like you get such the vantage point from being up that high in the arena that you can see opening. But it's like these guys are on the ice. You can't <laughs> – People yeah. like freak out. That's why I hate the the shoot 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 crowd. They drive oh me nuts. Oh my god! Don't get me started on that. <laughs> That's <laughs> like shoot it. <laughs> that is one of the worst things that uh, that you can do at a game. That's the, that's probably the thing that bothers me the most, and it, ha- it happens at every level too. It's not like it just happens at the NHL. It happened at like your your like local uh, like kids hockey or uh, games or hope it happened at the OHL games. It happens everywhere, and there's always like the two people in the crowd. No matter what, the guy will just enter the zone, and they'll be like, "Shoot it, shoot the puck." <laughs> it could be like seven nothing, and they'll still be, uh, they'll still be chanting to shoot the puck. Yeah, and it's like let them try to make a play. Like you don't know what's yeah. going on down on the ice. You're, there's a reason why you're in the stands and you're not playing in the NHL. <laughs> but those guys always drive me nuts, man. Unless yeah. it's a kid. If it's a kid, I get it. They want to see their guy score. But if you're an adult, you don't have an excuse. Like, no, you, <laughs> you need to you need to relax. But that's. That's just what happened, and I get it. It happens everywhere. Um, so, yeah, the Ducks came out with a lot of pressure in the third period, which was much needed. Miller has to make another great save off a point shot and a rebound. He's looked good, man. Ryan Miller coming in, the, you know, what he's been expected to do this season. And, dude, he's got I, – I love that guy's goalie setup. His pads are incredible. I love oh, those, yeah. the all black, all matching. But, with I mean, a mask, it's, too. It's hard. Dude, it looks so good. Like, yeah. his setup is great. But he, he looked great tonight, man. I was really impressed with Ryan Miller. I, I just, I don't know. It's so much to ask of, of a backup goaltender to come in. And this is such an important game for his team. And for him to pull through, it was just amazing, man. He was well-deserved of the media's, you know, written in third star, or first star, rather. Um, how, I mean, did you feel the same way about Ryan Miller? Yeah. He just had a hell of a game. He's had such a weird season as a backup, something we really haven't seen from the Ducks in a, in a while, where he's had to come in in some interesting situations in the middle of games. Well, I think one time he had to come in at the beginning of overtime and into the shootout. There was the one game where he had a had a uh, ended up getting a win with without making a save. So he's had an interesting year, but he's been solid pretty much all year. He's had a couple shaky starts here and there, but you can't expect him to be dominant every game. And he gets thrown into a game here where all of a sudden the Ducks can clinch. 
and he plays great. You know, he didn't have to make too many 10-bell saves, but that, that save that you just mentioned was probably the best of, of the night because it does create a little bit of a rebound, uh, and they, they get a good shot off the rebound, and, and he makes a good save with his pad. So I, I've just been really impressed with what he's been able to do. I mean, he's a veteran guy. He's been around the league. He, you know, he knows what to do. He's one of the, the best American goaltenders of all time. So, you know, he, he knows what he can do, and, and I think um, it's been a great addition. And he's here next year, isn't he? He's uh, is he signed for yeah. next year? So I mean, yeah, that will be great for for John Gibson and for the Ducks as well because I I feel like if he can continue to play like this and provide some very good relief performances when John Gibson's out of the lineup, uh, it's it's very valuable to the Ducks moving forward. Yeah, and I wasn't trying to disrespect him in the last post game saying you know that he, if he's our starter going into the playoffs that I don't expect him to go deep. It's just it's yeah. a different style of hockey, and I just we, we all know that John Gibson's better at this stage in his career. But great things would start to happen here for the Ducks. They get a lot of zone pressure here. Ducks able to get it to the point to Josh Manson. He throws it on net. Dubnik with the save, but he can't clear the rebound away from his crease. And who else other than Andre Kasha cashes in for a goal, makes it two to one. Now the crowd blows up. Dude, Dubnik was pissed after this goal, but everyone yeah. else in the building was stoked. It's 2-1 Anaheim. Yeah, I, I mean, it was a bad rebound that, that ends up giving up, and nobody really backchecks well enough to get Andre Kasha, but he was pumped. <laughs> he's, I mean, he's always smiling, and he's always pumped when he scores, but uh, he had talked about in the post-game interview last game that that was probably the biggest goal he scored of his career. Well, I think this one might top it because this obviously clinches playoffs with the Ducks this year. What a what a season he's had! What a breakout season he's got! Now thirty eight points in sixty four games, twenty goals on the season for a guy who was a former seventh round pick. I mean, the Ducks continue to find these guys late, and you look at the last three games and how important they've been for the Ducks. Kasha had two assists in the game against LA. He had the OT winner against Colorado, and he had the game winner in this game, stepping it up when the Ducks need him in important games. I mean, he's been he's been so valuable to this team. And he's really made it so they're they're a three line threat. No, it's true. And that whole play was you know started because the Wild turned the puck over in their own defensive zone. Yeah, Prosser gets the pass from Dubnik. They kind of created their own trouble on that one. And that's maybe that's why Dubnik was pissed because he had a chance to kind of wrap it around the glass, and he decided to give it to to Prosser who turned it over there. But Kasha made no mistake in getting that puck in, hitting his twentieth goal of the season. Like you said, do you think that adds a little bit of money to his contract? Getting that oh, hitting yeah. that twenty goal mark. Right, For and that's sure. just going to be a huge point when they come to negotiations. Yeah, it has to be. I mean, you go into it if you're at 19, you're like, you know, I hit 19 this year, and I know it's just one goal difference, but I mean, 20 goal score sounds a lot better than 19 goal score. I mean, same with if you hit 30 uh, instead of hitting 29, that sounds a lot better, and it looks better on your resume going into negotiations. So that's going to bump the price up a bit, but. I mean, I, I think he's worth it. I mean, he's been consistently good all season. He's such a, a great energy player for the Ducks. Yeah, when he's on, especially as he's been for the last three games, he's one of the best forwards the Ducks can put over the boards, and, and he was one of the better forwards in this game too. That line was very good. They, they didn't look good, too good on shot attempts, but they, they contributed a lot to the offense. Obviously, Richie getting the first goal and Kasha getting the game winner. No, it was such an important piece Kasha yeah. and Henrique on this team this year, and we can get more and more into that at the end at our end of season wrap up this weekend. But yeah, it's going to be interesting when they go into negotiations. I mean, Andre Kasha has been a hot topic for us these yeah. past few weeks, especially people asking us questions of you know what do we think about him or what's he going to get. 
Man, hitting that 20-goal mark, I don't know. Bob Murray's going to have to open that wallet and make some interesting decisions this offseason on who, how he's going to pay him and how he's going to pay Nick Ritchie. And, you know, you know, Nick Ritchie's was a high draft pick, and he's at the end of his entry level. So going to be an interesting offseason for the Ducks. Obviously, we'll get to that in a bit. But the Wild decided to pull Dubnik with 2.23 to go. And then here we are, Cogliano with the empty net goal. Ducks seal the victory here in the playoffs. Six straight years we talked about before, and then 11th time in the last 13. We need to get a cup. We need to have a deep run. We need to get to the final. I mean, I don't want to see these Game 7 losses the Ducks have finally overcome. Um, Just a good feeling, though, man. Just high expectation going in, but maybe not as much pressure. They didn't win the division. You know, that's another thing that maybe is going to help our Ducks team here. I just hope they can get into that division spot they know the kings have got to lose but um well played game for the ducks in a must-win situation really to get over to get over the hump and points and cash in now especially with with the injury to gibson this gives him time to rest if the team decides to rest him and rely on miller but what a game man just a good game here by the ducks yeah, and, and it's such an interesting position because they don't come in as that contender team, like you said. They don't have all that pressure of being a team that's expected to go so far and expected to go all the way, and even really expected to win their first-round matchup if they end up playing San Jose. I feel like they're going to be the underdogs going into pretty much every series that they go into, and that'll be a new look, I think a new feel for a lot of the players in that locker room, and it could be it could benefit them. I mean, it's benefited teams in the past. Uh, I think Nashville a, a couple of years ago was the eighth seed, and they made it pretty far. Uh, and you've had plenty of eight seeds in the past. Uh, the, another one that comes to mind is New Jersey when they went all the way and, and they played L.A. in the Stanley Cup final. I think that was the last time Adam Henrique had been in the playoffs as well. So it, it sometimes benefits you coming in without all that pressure, especially when the Ducks have faced it for the last five seasons coming in as the Pacific Division champions. You're expected to go to at least the Western Conference Final, if not further. So I hope so. I, I, I'm interested to see how they deal with this new situation and if it benefits them or if the, the team just isn't as good as they were the last few seasons and, and that ends up showing. It'll be interesting to see what they can perform in the first round. Well, they have a chance to do it. Both the Kings and the Ducks have played 80 games, so that means they each have two left. But, I mean, honestly... This is a tight, tight race. I mean, the yeah. Ducks could go up to second place because the the San, Jose, the San Jose Sharks lost to Dallas two days ago. And so they're looking at a, only a one-point lead over the Ducks, and then the Kings are one point back behind Anaheim. They really control their own destiny here. We could see yeah. a second or third place finish. Um, so there is a chance for home ice advantage. But it's going to be interesting um just because the kings get the second half of the back-to-back against minnesota actually tonight and then the ducks play dallas tomorrow this is the way this always shakes up it feels like like you and i've been talking about like all these games coming to the end that they're going to be just huge because of their interdivision games or playoff seeding games um how do you feel about the ducks chances here do you think they can get it up into second into second or san jose you feel like going to make quick work of colorado I don't know. You know, Colorado is at that point now where they're desperate to get in. They're only a point up on St. Louis. They play St. Louis one more time this season. That's going to be a massive game for playoff implications. Basically, you win and you're in in that game. Because uh, if Colorado wins that game, they're at 95. There's no way the Blues can catch them. And if the Blues catch them, they move one point in front of Colorado. So... Uh, I think they're going to play hard. I believe it's their their next game as well, I think, is against... Uh... San Jose, Chicago. Yeah, so so Colorado plays 
San Jose. San Jose next. So they're going to want to win that game to make sure that that Blues game isn't as important as it could be. Uh, and and it, they'll clinch with a win against San Jose. So I think that helps out our hopes a bit. And San Jose's lost four in a row. They haven't looked that great lately after pulling off, I think it was eight wins in a row up until that point. So it'll be interesting. But now all of a sudden, a uh, first-round matchup of LA Anaheim looks like it's plausible. It could happen because LA owns the tiebreaker over both teams. And if uh, if San Jose doesn't pick up some wins here in the last few games and the Ducks and Kings both win their games, that is all of a sudden a possibility. I mean, we've, we've been talking about Nashville. We've been talking about Vegas. We've been talking about San Jose. I don't think once have we mentioned an LA Anaheim first round because I don't think we thought it would be possible. No, and I think that's the most favorable matchup for Anaheim. If they can make yeah. that happen. That's yeah, a, I think that's so. A, that would be huge. The Ducks have just played L.A. so well, and I know that there's a dynamic there where L.A. can be that playoff team, too, where they come in and make some noise. But I really, really feel like the Ducks would just have whatever you want to call it, an edge, advantage, just just a little bit better than the Kings. And I feel like that would be their best matchup. The, the Kings aren't as scary to me as San Jose or Vegas or especially Nashville, like a team like that. Um, you, you kind of feel the same way. That would be a nasty series. Oh yeah, it'd be fun though. We haven't really seen it in a while. It would be uh, it'd be fun, but it'd be an annoying series at the same time because you, you know, there's always the chance the Kings could pull out a win, and then like you said, they always seem to find a way to to kick it up in the in the playoffs and and go farther than they're expected. So, I, I think it's the best matchup, and, and I would like to see it based on that. But it would be it'd be such a a nasty. More like it just be a, a series that you would want to watch, but at the same time you don't because it's it's always fun watching the Kings and Ducks, but uh, you just don't want the Ducks to end up losing to the Kings in the first round because you know it's going to be held over you for the next couple seasons. Last time they played the playoffs, I know it didn't end well for Anaheim, but I mean, half, I wouldn't say half my friends, but a lot of my friends are Kings fans. Yeah, and the other half are Ducks fans. And we always said, oh, if they ever play each other, we're going to hang out and watch every single game. We didn't talk. <laughs> like, we didn't, like, nobody chirped anybody. Nobody was at anybody's house. And I live, like, a mile from two of my really good friends who were Kings fans. We didn't hang out or anything. I would have my buddy over to watch the game. Jason would come over and watch the Ducks game. We didn't, you know, nobody wanted to hang out. Like, yeah. <laughs> nobody wanted to be in the same room and let anybody else see how miserable the other person is because their team lost. Yeah. So that's how big of a deal it is, this rivalry between the Kings and Ducks. I just I really feel like it's the best matchup for the Ducks at this point. And they could they're in control of their own destiny. I was talking about that last night with a couple of people. You know, if they went out, I mean that's that's great. They they solidified a division spot. And yeah. now they have a chance to get second place and get home ice. That's even better for the Ducks. They've been better at home than they have on the road this season. I mean, there's no question that they're twenty five, ten and five at home, seventeen, fifteen and eight on the road. But the big thing for the Ducks right now, they're eight one and one in their last ten games. They're turning it on at the right time. Yeah, they're, they yeah. just really turned it around after that little short losing uh, stint there. Yeah, and not all the games have looked great, but they're still picking up the wins, and that's what's important. I mean, you could in the playoffs, it doesn't matter if you play a good game or not, as long as you come up with the win. That's what's important. You, you get the the win in the series, and it, it gets you closer to, get, to getting the Stanley Cup. So I, I think it's been great, and the play has picked up. And especially the last three games, they've actually looked like the better team at times. Obviously, they've had to come from behind wins in overtime against L.A. and Colorado, and they did come behind in this Minnesota game, but I felt like they were the better team for the most part. So it, it's the perfect timing for the Ducks, and they always seem to find a way, even when they have clinched the Pacific Division title the, the last couple seasons, they've always found a way to, to kick it up 
and start playing better come playoff time. And we always know that once they get into the playoffs, it's a whole other animal. This team can just all of a sudden become a contender like that just because they, they always seem to uh, play better in that type of atmosphere in, in playoff hockey. But um, it'll be interesting. I, I mean, there's so many possible matchups still. There's four teams you could possibly play. Or sorry, three teams you could possibly play in the first round, all from the Pacific Division. So... I don't know. I mean, we'll get into the playoff picture uh, a little bit more today. And then, of course, after the season wrap-up on Sunday, we'll know exactly who they're facing. And I think that's uh, a bit nerve-wracking, to be honest. I mean, all three of them are going to be tough matchups. And, you know, you would like them to play the Kings because it's a better matchup. But I would also love to see the Kings have to play Vegas and possibly go out in the first round. So it's nerve-wracking. Like you said, they control their own destiny. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. You want to stay on the topic of, of the playoffs? Yeah, I think we can. You think they're going to catch the Sharks? That's the big question here. The Sharks have you know two games left. They play the Avalanche on, today on Thursday, and then they have the Minnesota Wild on Saturday. So interesting to see how that's going to kind of go out here. Is that a, I know you said the Sharks are on a four-game losing streak, but they're playing against two teams, I think, that are very beatable at this point. Yeah, I, I, I think, though, I just I feel like with this game tonight, because if Colorado wins, uh, it doesn't clinch them a playoff spot, but it makes that uh, that last game against St. Louis, I think that all they would have to do is pick up a point in that game against St. Louis and they'd be in. So uh, th- it's going to mean a lot for Colorado. You know, the, I think it's the most important game of the season for them. They're going to come to step up to another level. If McKinnon, if it's even possible for Nathan McKinnon to get to another level, he'll find it in tonight's game against San Jose. So I think they can. But uh, the last two games aren't a joke. I mean, you're playing Dallas, who just upset the Sharks the other night, 4-2, and really put a dent in their hopes of getting that second spot in the Pacific Division. And then you play the Coyotes, who they always play the Ducks tough, and they've looked better lately. They've won three of their last four games. And listen to the three teams they beat. They beat Tampa Bay 4-1. to They beat Vegas 3-2. to And they beat St. Louis 6 nothing. And sorry, they also beat Calgary 4-1 to as well. So they've been playing some great hockey. They're a team that that's, loves to play spoiler. Obviously, it's not going to spoil the Ducks' chances of making the playoffs, but that's a back-to-back game, and it, it's going to be a tough one to go into Arizona and expect to get a win. No, it's true. They always play them tough. I know they haven't been the team that everyone's expected. I actually picked them to be, to be much, much better last year yeah. and this year, and they just haven't found their game until of late. It's, it's tough when you can't get a save in the beginning of the season, but Antti-Ranta's really turned it around. Um, and the other part of this for Anaheim too is is the Kings get a benefit down here, and it's just the way it works out down the stretch. They played Colorado after the Ducks played Colorado. They're playing Minnesota tonight, so they get Minnesota on the second half of back to back. And then after the Ducks play Dallas on Friday, the Kings get Dallas for their last game of the season on Saturday. Yeah. So <clears throat> I don't want to say that there's any sort of conspiracy going on because obviously <laughs> the league, league, you know, you know the schedulers had no idea how this playoff picture was going to look down the stretch, but favorable matchups coming down yeah. for the Kings. So we can't count the Kings out as much as we say that they're the team that we want to have them play. They're, they have a really good chance of racking up some points. I feel like yeah. the Kings are in a position to do that too. They, they're going to control their own destiny here as well a little bit because even though they're only behind one point by Anaheim, they're getting the second half of the back-to-backs, which is which is huge. I feel like it's a huge yeah. thing for the Kings. 
Yeah, and they've got the tiebreaker and uh, their wins, their uh, row. So they're they're um, in a good position that even if they end up tying Anaheim or San Jose, they end up moving up into that second spot no matter what. So they're they're sitting pretty right now, but they still have to win those games. And they're, they're going to be easier because they're on the second of back-to-backs. But like you already said, I mean, the Ducks control their destiny. If they win those two games, it, has, it doesn't matter what L.A. does because they're going to be in a, a better position than the Kings. So, you know, we can we can hope that the Kings lose. We can focus on those games and talk about how maybe it's a conspiracy, like you said, that they get those uh, <laughs> easy games uh, on the second half of back-to-backs to finish up the season. But it means nothing if the Ducks can win their next two games and then they either clinch that second spot or at least clinch a third spot and force the Kings to play Vegas in the first round. Yeah, let's hope so. I mean, I really hope they play the Kings, but if not, I would love to see them play Vegas in the first round. Yeah, A lot of, a lot of people are talking about they're not afraid of Vegas all of a sudden, though. Like, yeah, you know, I wouldn't mind playing Vegas. And a lot of Kings fans have no have no trouble playing Vegas. So I'm like, you better yeah. be careful what you ask for there because yeah. that place is going to be the way it was at the beginning of the season. It's going to be the building is going to explode with how yeah. much craziness is going to be in the stands there. It's just going to that it's going to be for lack of a better word electric. I hate when people say that, but <laughs> it's that's what's going to be. It's going to be such a buzz in that crowd. Yeah, I mean that's not where you want to start. And if you start there. You better get the first goal to suck the wind out of that building or you're in trouble. It, it's the typical narrative come playoff time for teams that surprise. It's game 83 is different. is a whole other animal than game it's 1 to 82. And it, I kind of hate that a bit. I get it. You know, playoff hockey is different, but it's not like all of a sudden this team is going to go from, you know, a 109 point team to the team that we expected at the beginning of the season. Uh, I mean, that's just not going to happen. They're, they're almost going to maybe step up to another level. In, in the playoffs because it, it means so much and this crowd is going to get behind them I mean they've been behind them all season but I can only imagine I'm, I'm going to tune in as long as that game isn't on during a Ducks game and watch the crowd for their first ever playoff game uh, it's going to be insane uh, I mean w- you know the one that always comes back to mind for me is is Winnipeg when the Ducks played them and the way their fans turned up and had the whiteout that's one of the the best playoff atmospheres I've seen in a long time I, I think this could top it. I mean, these fans have just been insane all season. Nobody expected this. They've clinched the division. They're going to get a favorable matchup in the first round, and it, it's going to be exciting. And I wouldn't want to play them. I mean, it, right now, if I had to pick a, a team that I don't want the Ducks to play out of the three, it has to be Vegas. I mean, you can say what you want about them never having being in the playoffs or, or whatnot, and a lot of these guys don't have a ton of playoff experience. But you've got arguably the most important guy in position-wise with a ton of playoff experience in Marc-Andre Fleury. I feel like that's all the playoff experience you need on this team, and the other guys are going to find a way to win games. That's a scary matchup, man. Yeah. It's a scary matchup. I would rather take San Jose, like we talk, we've been talking about for weeks, or L.A. Obviously, L.A. we haven't brought up is because it wasn't a possibility, but now it is. So let's hope we get that one. Plus the bloodbath. I mean, as scary as that sounds, going into the playoffs and having to face that that war, which is what it would be between L.A. and Anaheim, that's the fun one pick, to pick. It, it's something yeah. that everybody across the league, I'm sure, would be excited for. That's the true rivalry that's going to kick in for the playoffs. I know the playoffs kind of get nasty yeah. for almost anybody, any matchup, but that would be a hell of a matchup. Um, let's touch back a little bit on this game and talk about, I mean, this still has playoff implications, but Andy Walensky and Marcus Pedersen were the pairing tonight. Um, is that the answer the Ducks needed? I felt like they didn't have a great game, especially in the underlying numbers. There were times in this game when we saw them when they got pinned in their own zone quite a bit. I didn't see any glaring turnovers, 
but I felt like the shot attempts against them as a pair, I mean, I know it's their first time together in the NHL. It was just a little shaky. Is this something that you would want to roll with going into the playoffs, or would you want to shake this pairing up? Yeah, that's such a tough question, because I don't feel like it's the answer, of course. Uh, it would be great to have Fowler in the lineup, but it's like, what else do you do at this point? Because, you know, you know, Randy Carl likes to go with the familiarity, and he had Lindholm and Manson together, and Boschman and Montour had been together for a majority of the season before he ended up getting paired with Cam Fowler. So it's tough, because after that, you know, the only options you have are Patterson with Walensky, Patterson with Holzer, Walensky with Holzer, some kind of mix of those three guys in and out of the lineup. So I feel like this is the answer they're going to go with. My ideal pairings would be a complete mix-up of the three lines and, and having you know at least one guy on each of the pairings who can make a difference. So you're talking like Boschman being paired with obviously Josh Manson or Hampus Lindholm, right? You wouldn't put a kid with them. I see. I don't know. Um, I I feel like we've talked about this before. I think way back when Pedersen first got called up, we had referenced the Chicago Blackhawks in the playoffs. Uh, back, I think it was in their first cup when they had Roosevelt and Tiemann playing about eight minutes a night, and they really relied on Keith, Seabrook, Oduya, and Yarmelson. I think if the Ducks went in with a, a Lindholm, Montour, Pedersen, Manson top four, and then you had Boschman and Walensky, I don't think Boschman and Walensky is going to be much worse than Pedersen and Walensky. Uh, I, I think it has the potential to be worse, but I don't think it's going to be s- so much worse that it's really going to hamper them. And then you, you've really bolstered that top uh, that top four or the top two pairings, and, and it makes them that much better. I, I feel like, in my opinion, those would be the ideal ones. Obviously, it does create kind of a crater on that third pairing, but we've seen that a lot this year. Um, I, I don't think, you know, Wilinski and, and Boschman are going to wow anybody, but those would be my ideal ones, at least going into the playoffs. That's kind of where you got to give them the sheltered minutes, the soft minutes. Yeah. You know, they, they go out against the fourth line at whoever team they're playing. And then you get them right off the ice. And you just got to yeah. give your top guys the best minutes. You yeah, exactly. To. Yeah. I mean, we had a, that, that third pairing 15 minutes a night. Yeah. And we, we had a question that I guess we can answer now because it does go with uh, with this turnaround 08 on Reddit said, What are your thoughts on the Wilinski Patterson pairing? We're, we're kind of touching on that now. And then he said, how do you feel they would fare in the playoffs, particularly on the road where we don't control matchups? I feel like that's where it becomes an issue. Like you said, you can shelter them when you're at home, and if they get home ice advantage, obviously it's a big thing. You can take their their minutes away from the other team's top players. But if you're, say, playing San Jose, and San Jose has home ice advantage for at least four games of that series, you're going to have San Jose making sure they get Pavelski and Evander Kane out there against that bottom pairing. Especially in the offensive zone starts. That's yeah. when you're going to see the Ducks maybe worry a little bit. Yeah. They don't get last change. And then you got Pedersen and, or you got Walensky and Boschman out there, or like you said, whatever, whatever the mix of that third pair is. And you could get caught. That's a chance. That's what happens. But that's the game you have to play. You know, you yeah. got to play the game within the game. And that's what San Jose would be doing, right? So you'd, you would hope that you could get the zone clear and get your, get your other pair out there to match up. <laughs> But it's going to happen. It, does, yeah. it happens to every team, every gear. You're going to have those chances that are against you. You just have to hope that that team, or that that pairing rather, is going to be able to hold up for that zone time. It's not really going to matter other than that. I feel like that's where we're going to see the issue. Because you can make a change on the fly. It's going to be the zone starts. You're going to be in the defensive zone, especially if that pairing ices the puck. Good Lord. Then you're going to have to worry a little bit yeah. if the other team puts out a well-rested top, you know, top unit. 
against your defense core that's out there and you're hoping they only play six minutes. That's the only part where I feel a little nervous about it in the playoffs, especially if the Ducks, Ducks don't have home ice. That's where that maybe comes into a factor, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, you know, it's tough to break up the Lintel-Manson pairing, but I feel like, you know, Montour had a great game last night, and a lot of the reason of that as well is because Boschman also had a very strong game. He he kind of complimented, or complimented Montour by, you know, playing solid defense and making sure he was covering from there was about three or four times that I counted where Boschman was in good position to cover for Montour when he was pinching and that's something Montour really benefits from and Cam Fowler does a good job of doing that or getting back to prevent anything from happening if Montour was to get caught pinching and I feel like putting him with Montour would or putting him with Linton would really benefit that I think that would be the best option for him and you know that would enable him to really get his game going the only thing that I worry about is Manson and Patterson. I feel like it's definitely a better option than having to put Boschman into that top uh, two pairings. But uh, that pairing hasn't looked great when they have been together. Obviously, Patterson was with Manson for the most part of the first five games that he played with the Ducks. And it wasn't great. So there there are some worries because you know replacing Cam Fowler with what the Ducks have right now is pretty much impossible. And you're just kind of putting some stop gaps in there until he gets back. Uh, but I think they can do it. Uh, John Gibson is the big one I think you have to get back. But I think for now you, you can kind of patch up the holes where that Fowler left behind and wait for him to get back. That's what they're going to have to do because Cam yeah. Fowler is minimum two weeks. So yeah. he got injured on Sunday, correct? Yes. So they have this Sunday and then the 11th would be, when would the 11th be? Seven, eight, 11th like midweek next week. Yeah. Yeah. So you'd have at least a game, two games, without Cam Fowler at the very, very, very minimum. Probably safe to say he's most likely going to miss the first round. Uh, Two to six. No. Miracle healing. Wolverine. Let's think about this right now. Two to six weeks is such a weird time frame. We rarely ever hear it. I feel like the only reason they're saying two to six weeks is because it's playoff time. I feel like if this is middle of the season, it's probably four to six weeks. No, it's true. Didn't they give a weird prognosis uh, when he injured his knee? Last season, I think so. He got hit by by uh, Giordano. They said the same thing. It was like a weird yeah. two to six week injury for the same yeah. reason. I bet it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, because it. it I mean, it, it, announcing the two to six weeks doesn't mean he he has to come back within two to six weeks, or he can't come back in two weeks. I just think it it eases people's minds a bit. You know, you don't get flamed too much on Twitter for saying he could be back in two weeks, but it could be six instead of saying four to six weeks, and then you're like, oh, he's going to be out for a month. I mean, there's still the possibility he does miss four or six weeks. I just think the the timing of it, because it's the playoffs, they just kind of put that out there to hope that he gets back earlier than rather than later. Makes sense. Hey, man, let's hit let's hit up our chat. Let's talk yeah. to Drew McCool, who decided to <laughs> wake up early with us and tune in, which is much appreciated. He asked in the chat, he says, so now that we're in, do we even play Gibby if he's healthy until game one? I don't see any point. I'd even let Miller go back to back this weekend if he wants to. We just got done talking about playoffs and how the Ducks control their own destiny. But we saw a hell of a game out of Ryan Miller tonight. Do yeah. you kind of feel the same way? Do you feel like it's it's worth just holding Gibby out until game one and letting Miller ride the rest of the games? The only way I let Miller take the back-to-back is if you know that Gibson is going to be healthy to start game one. If, if you know he's going to start game one, then let him take back-to-backs because you know he's not going to have to start that first uh, first game of the series, but if you're not 100% sure that Gibson is going to be ready, 
I would just go with Miller against Dallas, and then I think they called up Red O'Bara, then just go with Barra against Arizona. I mean, that, that game, yes, it could mean something for your positioning in the standings, but if you think Miller might have a chance that he has to go in game one, there is no point in playing him back-to-back and either risking injury or, or something like that. And then if he's out, you're, <laughs> you're looking at Red O'Bara as your starting goaltender for round one if, so, if, if the worst possible situation, if the darkest timeline was to happen, uh, Red O'Bara would be the starting goaltender for the Ducks in the first round. So, so yeah, I, I think you can start Miller back-to-back only if you know Gibson's going to be 100% ready. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I didn't even think about it that way. It's like, yeah, if he's going to be ready on Wednesday, then you, then you're okay, fine. But it's going to be interesting. I mean, Randy Carlisle, after getting this game out of him with Ryan Miller in the net tonight, I feel like he's going to give him that start. You know, let's give he's all of a sudden better. Um, he's going to get the start on Friday. I mean, do you think it even matters in where the Ducks are in the standings at that point going into Saturday? Do you think that RC is even going to look at that, or do you think he's just going to focus on his goaltending health? It's it's tough because I feel like if they have a chance to fall and play Vegas, then you you might have to look at that and say you bet you'll want to start the better goaltender in Ryan Miller uh, if if that's the case, even on a back to back. Because I don't think they want to fall down and play Vegas. I think everybody knows they have a better chance against San Jose and LA than they do against the the Knights. So. I feel like that's the only situation that you might see that where you know he's not worrying about goaltender health and he's saying, well, these matchups and in this matchup, especially against Arizona, is going to be important for our, our standings and you know we got we got to take a risk here. But um, it, it's going to be tough. You know, you never know with with, with RC and what he's going to do uh, and whether he's going to either choose the the route to go with the, the goalie that he thinks is going to get him the win or to focus on health this late in the season if you don't know that Gibson's going to be 100 percent ready. All right, let's get to our other question we have here. Yeah, so we had Chase on Twitter last night. He said, if the Ducks make a move in the offseason to get that first line left wing, does that mean Perry is designated to the third line? Yes. For yeah. me, that's yes. If you're going to go out and so. make a move and get a guy, fill in a spot, and he's a first line guy, you got to bump him off. Sorry. I mean, yeah. that's what we've been itching for forever is to get that first line winger. So if that happens, you, know, you got to bump Perry to the third line. Raquel doesn't deserve anything less than first line right now. And obviously Getzloff is, you know, the heart of the offense. And he's going to keep staying up on that top line. There's no way you're going to move the captain off there. No, and, and I, I think, you know, we've talked about multiple times that the top nine is, is kind of solidified next year. And the only guy who could really maybe move off is Nick Ritchie. You could probably see him get pushed down to the fourth line. And, and in all honesty, I mean, there's three guys – uh, who are top prospects in the Ducks system that are done junior, done college, and have a, a chance to either play for the Ducks or play for the Gulls next year in Max Jones, Sam Steele, and Troy Terry. But I, I feel like you can just let them marinate in the American Hockey League to start next year, and I feel like that would be better for this team. I, I think getting Troy Terry some games uh, in the AHL, just getting a feel for professional hockey, I feel like would be better for his development. Obviously, he's been kind of sitting on the sidelines for the past few games for the Ducks. I would really like to see him get sent down to San Diego if he's not going to play. And then for Max Jones and Sam Steele, I feel like they're not necessarily ready to go at the start of next season, or at least ready to take anybody's spot who's currently in the lineup. So if they were to go out and get, say, a patch ready, then yeah. I, I think you know putting Perry with Henrik and Cash could work, and we saw it at brief times this year where it's looked pretty good. 
You know that that Kessler line is probably going to stay together. And then you would have Getzloff and Raquel and either Patch Reddy or whoever they decide to bring in. I think that would be uh, one of the better top nines in the National Hockey League. Yeah, what do you think the reasoning is behind Troy Terry not playing any games and being held away from the AHL? Um, I'm not sure, honestly. Uh, maybe just to get the experience and, and you know, kind of get the idea of, of what uh, a day in the National Hockey League is like. It's kind of a corny thing to do that and just kind of sit him. I mean, he was in warm-ups. Did he sit on the bench the whole time, or did he end up going to the press box? I'm not really sure, because he was in full gear. There was a picture of him talking to Jordan Greenway, who he was a team, teammate with, I think, out at the World Juniors uh, during warm-ups. Greenway obviously played the entire game for Minnesota, and Troy Terry either sat on the bench or was in the, uh, in the press box. So it's weird. I don't know, maybe just to get the experience, but I feel like it would be better served to him playing with the goals right now, at least playing some hockey. But maybe they decide to bring him back now now that they've clinched. I feel like that's probably a likely option. Get him a couple more games before the season's over. Uh, it, it's not like you're you know, you're know going, we were talking about Miller and Barron deciding who to play there. Well, I think that has more bearing on the Ducks' success than throwing in Troy Terry over a guy like uh, JT Brown or, or Jason Chimera and, and maybe bumping Richie down to the fourth line. So it'll be really, really interesting to see what they do for this next game. If he sits out for the next one, I'll have no idea what they're thinking. Uh, right, right now, you can chalk it up to these were three very important games for the Ducks in the standings, and maybe they didn't want to throw a kid into the fire. But if he doesn't play against Dallas, I, I mean, that that honestly makes no sense. It, it, would be, it makes no sense to sit him in general, but to sit him against a, a team where you've already clinched the playoff spot and now points are, are just uh, moving you around in the standings, it, it would be weird. Do you feel like Troy Terry is good enough to to, uh, to replace Captain Canada? Or do you feel like, uh, <laughs> I mean, on. you didn't mention him. You didn't mention him. I know he was scratched tonight. So is Troy Terry not worthy enough to take his spot? Is it because he's American that uh, Randy Carlisle is <laughs> holding up the lineup? I'm just curious. I just wanted a, a Canadian take on this. Um, I definitely think Troy Terry is better <laughs> than Chris Kelly. Um yeah, I, as much as I, I obviously love Captain Canada and and his contributions to Team Canada at the Olympics, I, I think Troy, Troy Terry is um, definitely should be in the lineup over, over Chris Kelly and arguably should be in the lineup over Jason Schmier and maybe even JT Brown, who I, I love to see you know Brown back in the lineup uh, because I think he you know was undeservably out of the lineup for Chris Kelly for a long period of time. But uh, I think Troy Terry adds more, and we, I would just want to see more of what he can do. I mean, we saw such a small sample size, and I think it was the just over 12 minutes he played in the game against Vancouver, and he looked pretty good. Uh, and it's just kind of unfortunate that we haven't seen more of, more of him. Because I, And I get it. I mean, the Ducks had three extremely important games where they ended up playing L.A., picking up huge points. They played Colorado, picked up points on them, and then they get clinched last night. But... Um, the real question is if he's going to be in in this game against Dallas or not. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It's it's, it's just going to be it, if JT Brown plays or not, apparently. Yeah, and there's right. a thing, too, where people were saying that, I mean, it's still out there that he had some sort of injury. I mean, if you look at right now, it just says undisclosed injury day-to-day. So that could also be the case why he's out. And I know we didn't really hear much. It, just that he had picked up a small injury in that game against Vancouver and that he was considered day-to-day, and that's why he missed the L.A. game. But then all of a sudden, he's also out for these next two games, and there's been no explanation whether it's been an injury or that he's just been sitting. And obviously, he was dressed for the game against Minnesota. He was out for warm-ups and didn't play. So it'd be weird to think it was an injury at that point. 
It was the Biega hit, right? It's got to be something happened guess, on that. Yeah. He, got, he got cleaned out in the corner. But yeah, people alive on Twitter last night saying, uh, you know, Troy Terry, where the hell is he? Why, why is he scratched? He's, why is he at least not in the AHL playing? But yeah, we're not the only ones that are talking about that for sure. It's, it's across the fan base. Everybody wants to see this guy that they saw playing World Juniors last year and then they saw in the Olympics this year if they stayed up late to watch those games. Um, he's a highly touted prospect. There was a lot of expectation here. And to not see him at all and then burn the entry-level year of his contract, right? That's how it's working. So what yeah. the hell is the idea behind that? I don't know. It's strange. I really feel like uh, Randy Carlisle maybe just doesn't trust his young guys going into into big games. So now that the Ducks have clinched, we'll see. Maybe he plays on Friday, you know, or maybe he plays Saturday. Only two games left in this season. Um, but, I mean, I feel like if he's healthy, he should be playing either on Anaheim yeah. or with the goals. Yeah, it's it's he has to play these next two games to it still doesn't even really make it worth it <laughs> if he's only going to play these two games. I feel like he has to be involved somehow in the playoffs and I and I know that's such a tough move to throw a guy in there and the fact that, you know, and it it was reported it was an injury the reason he didn't play in the LA game, but it looks like they're not wanting to play him in these big games yet. I find it hard to believe that they're all of a sudden going to play him in the playoffs unless he really turns things on for these last two games if he's given a chance, but it almost now feels like a waste to just burn that extra year off his entry-level contract and give him one game. I mean, unless he plays his last two and gets some considerable amount of time during the playoffs, uh, there is really no point in even doing that. You might have, might as well have just sent him down to San Diego. Yeah, no, that's very true, man. Um, do we got anything else on this uh, that you want to bring up here, or do you want to put a, a nice bow on this early, early, early morning show? Yeah, I think, I think we can put up a bow. I mean, unfortunately... Yeah, you know, we we still to be to be fair, we got some questions still, which is which is impressive. Some people, and I mean Drew coming out to the chat early in the morning. I'm not sure which coast Drew is on, but if he's on the West Coast, huge props to him for getting up at what's now 6:30 in the morning and uh, giving our show a listen. Even if you're on the East Coast and like like I am, and it's 9:30 here, it's still pretty early. So anybody who tuned in live. Thank you for coming out. I'm uh, sorry for it being a little bit early. We had some previous engagements that we we couldn't get around, but we'll be back hopefully on regular schedule for the for the next one or for the, at least for the one I think against Dallas. You said right? Yeah, Friday we'll be good to go. I'll be at that game, but I'll be heading straight home after that, so we'll get started. And Drew just commented he's in Texas, so Central Time, man. Still early, eight thirty in the morning, I believe. So yep. So yeah, that's crazy. So but yeah, we'll be back regular schedule on the Dallas game, and then there might be for the Arizona game. We might be on schedule, or we might be a little bit later. I think you said. Yeah, I'll know more as we get closer to that, to that time. But okay. uh, the family engagement happening on Saturday. But I'll keep everyone posted. But it'll be a good show no matter what if we yeah. get that Saturday night or Sunday morning because we'll be doing our end of season wrap. We'll be talking about the Ducks as a whole, and obviously we'll know our playoff matchup by then, so we can break down that. That'll be a great listen, whether you pick that up Saturday night or Sunday morning. Um, but to everyone who's tuning into this show, I, I apologize for not being available for last night's post game. But if you guys are tuning in and downloading it now, we love you guys for that. Drew, thanks for popping in on the chat. And I'm just going to wrap the way I always do. If you guys are listening and you haven't already given us a five-star rating over on iTunes, we would love you guys for that. Go in there and look us up. Click a five-star. Give us a review that's even better. Hit subscribe. We love you guys. Thank you so much. Everybody who's tuned in, who's left a message on our on Facebook, on Twitter, played played on our uh, Forever Mighty three-star leaderboard that Eddie keeps track of every single day. Um, 
you guys, we, we wouldn't be anything without you guys. It's been a hell of a run so far. We still got two more games to go in the regular season. Then we'll be talking playoffs because we're in, baby. And uh, we'll talk to you guys on Friday night.